from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 152 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague Ryan Dunleavy. And as we're we're recording this podcast on a Monday, we are now just 10 days away. Hard to believe it, Ryan, 10 days away from the 2019 NFL Draft. The Giants, of course, have three picks in the top 40, two in the top 20. They get back to work today as the offseason program begins. Sterling Shepard has signed a five-year contract extension. Other than that, not a whole lot going on in Giants land as we approach the end of April. (laughs) Ten days away, or as we say at NJ Advanced Media, 87 posts away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you can, you can always expect content. You can always expect podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we'd love if you would go into iTunes and Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, and like us on YouTube. You can check us out there. And, of course, follow Ryan on Twitter at RYDunleavy, and I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Uh, Ryan, I think that today, Monday, is a good place to start with this because it's the first time the Giants have reconvened for the off-season program. They won't be on the field. They won't be going through routes. This is basically off-season workouts. But all but one player, according to Pat Shermer, is in the building. That missing player is accounted for and will be there tomorrow. But uh, this is when they officially turn the page from the 5-11 and 11 disaster of 2018 to the new 2019 season. Yeah, this is when they get their playbooks. They can start talking football with the coaching staff again. The first three months or so since the last season ended is this awkward period where most guys are probably at their homes anyway. They're out of state homes where they train, where they live in the off season. And then they, you know, the guys who are around, the guys who do train at the facility, they're technically not even allowed to interact with the coaching staff other than, you know, hellos and whatnot. Um, go in for weightlifting and stuff like that, watch film on their own. But now the meetings start and the preparations start. They can't, they won't be on the field throwing footballs until May 20th. Uh, but, you know, this is when, uh, this is when the 20, today is when the 2019 season really begins. Yep, and you, you think about the 2019 season, and all eyes, once again, will be on Eli Manning, 38-year-old quarterback, hasn't won a playoff game since 2011 in the Super Bowl, hasn't been to the playoffs uh, in six of the last seven years, and they've only won eight of their last 32 games over the past two seasons. And we had a chance to talk to Eli on Monday afternoon, and he was surprisingly forthright, Ryan, when I, I asked him what would it be like in that quarterback room if they take your successor with pick six or with pick 17 or early in the second round. And Eli basically said that he's always enjoyed the vibe of the quarterback room and, you know, getting to work with the guys and talk football and they try to get better and win games and all of those good things. But, Ryan, this is a little bit different because the Giants passed on Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen last year. This isn't going to be Davis Webb. This isn't going to be Kyle Ouellette. It's not going to be Geno Smith. If they take a quarterback, this is Eli as the elder statesman mentoring uh, his successor. 
only if they take one in 6 or 17. If they take one at 37, it might as well be Weber Laletta. I'm not counting it. It doesn't count. It's fake news. It's not It's not drafting your successor. I'm sorry it's not. Eli's never been challenged by a first-round quarterback. He's had Ryan Nassib come through and um, Andre Woodson, I think, was his name, come through. Rhett, or Rhett Bomar, one of those guys. Some... Uh, and then Loletta and Webb these last two years. Uh, pick a first-round quarterback, and then I'll believe that Eli Manning has to actually do the Kansas City model and mentor somebody and uncomfortably handle t- uh, passing the baton. Otherwise, I don't believe it. So uh, I think probably that's Eli's thought, too. I think if you gave Eli some truth serum, he said he figures they'll take a quarterback, but probably figured last year, probably figured the year before, and they just keep don't doing it. So he probably is thinking, yeah, I'll say that I believe it, and they probably won't do it. Yeah, and we'll have to see what they do with those two picks. It's hard for me from the outside looking at the organization, the way that they're heading and where they've been, that you would look at this opportunity and once again kick the can down the road because there's but really no guarantee. Wouldn't you have said that last year if we were doing this podcast 10 days before the 2018 draft? Wouldn't you have said it's hard for you to say a situation where they kicked the can down the road till 2019? No, because I think we were, I think, I think we were both pretty locked in that Saquon Barkley was going to be the pick. I think he was our final prediction leading up to the the podcast, you know, before the draft and in writing. I, I think this is a different situation because you have two picks. So even if you, let's say you go, with a Montez Sweat or an Ed Oliver or somehow Quinn and Williams falls into your lap at six, you have pick 36 and pick 17 to trade back into that pick 10 or 11 range to get a Haskins or a Drew Locke, even if you don't take them at six. You have multiple opportunities here to get a top quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm in the believe it when I see it boat. I think there's a real chance they kick it down the curb till 2020. I just, uh, I really do. I just, the more, the more time goes, I think they won't pick one at six. And then I think we're going to see, I think you wrote it today. We're going to see what happens all the time, which is quarterbacks get overdrafted. Jake Locker was the 10th pick. Uh, Christian Ponder was the 11th pick. Like this, this happened, this idea that like Daniel Jones or Drew Locke is going to start to tumble to 37 or to 17 even. I just don't see it. I think, you know, there's enough teams, the Chargers or the Steelers uh, at the back of the first the round. Denver Broncos. Make a move. Yeah, yeah. There's a, well, they're at the top. They're at 10. I'm saying the teams like, the teams like Pitts, New Orleans or Pittsburgh or San Diego, San Diego, L.A., um, that are at the back of the first round that have good teams right now, I could see them trading up if those quarterbacks start uh, falling much the way Kansas City did to get Patrick Mahomes a couple years. Which I think is a clear alignment of the quote-unquote Kansas City model that Dave Gettleman speaks of. I mean, people forget that the Chiefs were a playoff team the year prior. Uh, Alex Smith yep. was very productive the year leading up yep. to the Patrick Mahomes trade and then um, the year where he was Mahomes' mentor before he was flipped uh, during Super Bowl week to Washington. Uh, I wrote in my mock draft today, it's my final two-round mock draft projection before the draft, I have the Giants at number six taking Dwayne Haskins, and then I have Montez Sweat falling to them at 17, which I know is, it might not be all that realistic, Unless you have guys like Drew Locke go off the board, unless you have guys 
uh, like Daniel Jones, also go off the board. And you have some teams that shuffle maybe to get an offensive tackle. Um, th- those three quarterbacks going in the top 11 or so picks are going to leave you in prime position to take one of the top defensive players, one of the top edge rushers potentially at 17. Uh, but, Ryan, there's been some reporting in the last couple of weeks that Haskins' stock is falling. He's in town for a uh, two-day top 30 visit. Are you buying yeah. any of that? No, I'm not. I'm, well, look, uh, here's what I would say. You're going to get mixed reports. So you're, we're seeing this from reporters that are very well respected. Peter King of NBC said he's falling. Who am I to argue with Peter King? The man's connected around the NFL. Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay both have him at six for the Giants in their latest mock drafts. Those are three of the I, best yes. in the business. Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, th- yeah, those are... Th- some of the best in the business. I so somebody's going to be wrong. I mean, some, I mean, that's it, right? Somebody's going to be wrong on this. He's if he goes six, he ain't going twenty eight. And if he goes twenty eight, he ain't going six. Personally, um, here's what I'm buying that on Haskins, and I've tried to make as many calls as possible to people in both who know Haskins and around the NFL. And here's what I'm buying. Do I think the Giants are picking Haskins at six? I do not. So I do think he is falling in that regard. Do I think he is falling to the late first round, 20, 28 and beyond? I do not. So I think it's more of a lost his footing than it is a tumble, if we're, if I'm going to use a cliche. Like maybe I think he tumbles into the teens, 12, 13, 14, 15 range. So maybe a slight fall. But no, I don't see him tumbling, you know, a two-hour wait, Aaron Rodgers style. Yeah, I think that this is also the time of the year where you're going to hear a lot of things put out there on both sides, whether it's from teams who want to get people off the scent of Dwayne Haskins, whether it's teams that want to entice a, a move up because they want out of their spot because they don't see somebody they like somewhere in those top eight or nine picks. Uh, it's smokescreen season in layman's terms. And, and what I think is going on here is, Somebody is trying to devalue Dwayne Haskins so that he's available when they go on the clock. And I have no reporting to suggest this is actually what is going on. But, Ryan, it wouldn't surprise me if part of this is originating out of East Rutherford with the goal of um, tanking Dwayne Haskins' draft stock so he's available at 17 so the Giants don't have to invest pick six in a quarterback. Because I think Dave Gettleman, given his druthers, would like to come out of this draft with a quarterback, but would strongly prefer to come out with one of the top edge rushers at the top of the board. Yeah, look at you thinking Dave Gettleman is conniving. I like it. I like it. The Giants are de- <laughs> the Giants are devious, evil geniuses. I, 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 that's a good theory. The fans will like that. I want to circle back to Eli, Matt. I want to circle back to Eli because he's the news of today and. You mentioned one thing. You mentioned his draft, his thoughts on the draft, which I thought were really interesting. Um, two other things I thought were interesting that Eli, or really three other things I thought it were interesting. Eli said, "I'll take them one at a time. You tell me what your reaction was." Two of the stories are already posted on NJ.com/slash/Giants because that's how we do things. Number one, Eli Manning said that he found out Odell Beckham was traded uh, the same way, basically you and I did, or much or our our you know thousands of listeners did he saw it on his tv screen uh do you buy that because if so it means that a the giants didn't give him a heads up and b odell beckham didn't give him a heads up and your good reporting said saquon barkley had a heads up from odell so do you think odell didn't give the heads up to 
Eli? And do you think the Giants didn't give a heads up to Eli? Do you think every man, Eli Manning, found this out the way every other person did? I, I do. Um, I think that when you yeah. look at some of the past trades that I've been around, I think a general manager is much more apt to call, or a head coach is much more apt to call somebody within the position group and let them know that a player of Odell Beckham's stature has been traded. I'll think back to when the Eagles traded Sam Bradford to make Carson Wentz the quarterback. He got a phone call immediately. Uh, Donovan McNabb, when they the Eagles drafted Kevin Cobb, Andy Reid called Donovan and said, "quote unquote, don't worry." Um, so, yeah. so I think the, I think it's feasible the Giants didn't tell Eli Manning. Uh-huh. I, I think it's also a little more surprising that. Odell didn't talk to Eli, right? Because I spoke to Saquon at Penn State's Pro Day, and he told me that within moments of the trade, Odell was FaceTiming him. So I I think that also goes to show you maybe a little behind-the-scenes dynamic of the Beckham-Barkley relationship as it compares to the Beckham-Manning relationship. I agree. I think that's it. Uh, I agree. I, I think it's more inch. I'm not surprised Odell didn't tell Eli. I think, like you said, I think it's very close, very obvious. Odell and Saquon were much closer than Odell and Eli. I thought it was interesting the Giants didn't tell him, uh, Gettleman or Shermer, that they didn't call him and say, hey, we're trading your best offensive weapon. Are you cool with this? Like, uh, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, and it also kills conspiracy theories that Eli pushed Odell out of town, which I never really believed. But certainly were those, out, were those series out there? Some fans had suggested it, yeah. Yeah, some fans oh, that, had that's... suggested it, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, here's another thing. Here's yeah, Here's another thing. Here's another thing Eli said I thought was interesting. Tell me what you think. Um, I asked him about what's now the cool thing to do, right? Dwayne Wade retired and took a victory tour. Derek Jeter, um, Mariano Rivera, CC Sabathia, all Kobe guys you Bryant. would say were team. F- all yeah, Kobe Bryant. All guys you would say, well, maybe with the exception of Kobe, all guys you <laughs> would say were team first kind of guys, um, especially the Yankee guys. Uh, winners, icons, team first kind of guys, just like Eli. Uh, and I asked Eli if he would do that. And he said, no, he, whenever his time comes, he'd go the more traditional route. Like Dirk Nowitzki just went where you play your whole last season. And then you come to a decision at the end of the year. What do you think of the, what do you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, the other thing is I, I was kind of racking my brain trying to think of a football player who did that. And I couldn't yeah, find I can't one. Think of one I, I don't know. I don't know nope. if it's because it's the violent nature of the sport. I don't know that if it's just um, the, the way that players don't want to give leverage to teams in, in contract talk times. Uh, Eli didn't necessarily strike me as someone who would want a farewell tour. He strikes me more of the Bruce Springsteen and East Street Band model, where they say, "Hey, we're gonna." There's all of a sudden going to be a tour, and then there won't be any tours anymore. There won't be a farewell tour. That's kind of what I've taken from Eli. I, I don't know about you, or if you thought maybe he would be getting yeah, gifts the- from his division rivals and golf bags from uh, the Patriots when they play this year, and uh, you know the Chicago hot dogs and popcorn from the Bears. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you were expect- yeah. if you thought maybe he should be expecting gifts. Here's what I would think. Here's what I thought. Because I don't think Derek Jeter is the type either. I actually think, Eli, having never covered Derek Jeter, but being a Yankees fan growing up, uh, I actually think Derek Jeter and Eli are very similar and in a lot of ways. And 
So I was surprised when Derek Jeter did it, but the reason Derek Jeter did it is to eliminate the distraction all season long of what's your future? What's your future? Every every slump, are you going to retire? Every hot streak, are you going to keep going? Like, and I'm so if Eli is thinking about it, I think it would have been a good idea. Put it to bed. Giants can draft whoever they want. This is my last season. Stop asking me questions every week, every Monday about it. This is my last season, and I'm going to play as hard as I can for as long as I can. Uh, I I'll think that would have been the way to yeah, Hold I'll on one second. I, that, I would have done that, I think, if I was him. But to me, since I asked, what do you think it means? What do I think it means? I think he's still not thinking about it. I think – I don't think he's hiding it like, oh, I'll, I know now, but I'll make the de- I'll, I'll make the decision in December like Dirk Nowitzki did. I think he really is not thinking. I think he's being truthful there. He has no plan right now to retire after 2019. That I agree with. I'll go devil's advocate for a second on wh- whether he should have or shouldn't have had the farewell tour in front of him. And that is that if he were a defensive end, if he were a wide receiver, if he were a running back, I think it's easy to have the farewell tour and say, you know what, this is it for me, I'm done. But if you're the Giants and Eli Manning tells you this is my final year, A, what's the team's motivation to play him? And B, what does that tell the the veterans on that team that they're kind of spinning their wheels for one more year before they hand the, the ball off to a rookie? Well, the motivation for playing him is the reason they're playing him, whether they tell him or not, because the Giants are trying to win games because they think that they can get in the play. As you and I both think it's foolish, but the motivation for playing him, whether it's his last, whether he tells you it's his last year or not, is because he's the best quarterback you have and you have to keep playing him because you're trying to win games because the Giants do not believe in tanking. They believe in filling their stadium and trying to win games. It's why Eli Manning plays when you're one and seven and three and eleven and et cetera, et cetera. Because they're just gonna keep trotting out their best quarterback. So to me, I don't think that would I know what you're saying, but I don't think that would change the Giants' opinion because I think they'd still look at it and say, Okay, you're leaving us, but right now you're the best we got, so put the pads on. I absolutely agree. April fifteenth, he's the best quarterback on the roster. I don't know. If they take Haskins or Kyler Murray falls and they go get Kyler Murray or they take Drew Locke or Daniel Jones, I don't know that week one of the regular season or week seven or week 12 of the regular season that Eli Manning's the best quarterback on the roster. I think that's, to me, that's where I think that the farewell tour becomes a little bit dicey, especially if you do it this early on in the process and then the team goes and drafts a quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't see how it would change anything. I really, I mean, if he's the best, he plays, and if he isn't, he doesn't. Whether it's his last season or not, the, to me, the only thing that changes is he doesn't have to ask a answer about it every single day. It's not dominating the sports pages and sports websites every day. To me, that's the only thing that changes from an on-field perspective. He plays if he's the best quarterback, and he doesn't if he's not. Week one, week eight, week ten, week fifteen. Yeah, and, and, you and, said and again, was that's how they do it. That's how right. they do it. Uh, you know, that, that's how they do it. I, uh, we know that to me, he, you know, we know that to me, I, he wouldn't be playing week one. Um, yeah, I did say there was a third, but I don't remember what that was, Matt. I did say that. Uh, oh, the conversation with Gettleman, where he said this famous New Year's Eve conversation with Gettleman that he supposedly had, where there was no holds, bards, honest, and then. All of a sudden, Gettleman backtracked and said there really wasn't any decision to make with Eli. Well, why'd you have this conversation? Eli said, 
the Giants didn't really tell him for sure he was going to be back till within the last month, which is about the time they picked up his $5 million roster bonus option. You buying that? You think that there was still in February and March a chance Eli wasn't going to be back? Or you believe it was written in the cards the whole time, kind of like Gettleman said? There seems to be a little bit of a mixed message here on uh, how sure it was that Eli was coming back. Yeah, I think there might be some shades of gray here, right? Because I, I don't know that the Giants, and we were both at Dave Gettleman's year-end press conference where he basically said that they were going to study the film and he had this conversation, uh, the no-holds-barred conversation that you referred to. Uh, are we convinced that he knew during that year-end press conference that Eli would be back? I don't know that I am, but I think that Eli Manning probably knew for sure last month when they did pick up that $5 million option, which even if there was still some conjecture, you picking up that option means that you're the, he's the starting quarterback. So you aren't buying Gettleman's retrack then that there really was never a decision to be made. You think there had to be a decision made? I, I, I that, That's basically where I'm at here. I think that I believe yeah. Eli I'm, Manning I'm, I'm today. Yeah. Yes, I'm with you. I believe Eli Manning today. Yes, exactly. I think that was Gettleman making it sound like there was no decision to be made when really there was one. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not surprised Manning wanted to play. Uh, that's kind of the other element here, right, Matt, is we all, we focus on why would the Giants want Eli back? Well, why does Eli want to play for a team that's going nowhere? Like, why why does he want to put himself through that again? But I'm not really surprised. It's He's a Manning, and Mannings play quarterback. That's what they do. So I'm really not surprised that even with the Giants expected to be a non-playoff team and his record career-wise to possibly fall under 500, uh, which, you know, could jeopardize some things for him in terms of his legacy, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, Eli Manning wants to play quarterback. That uh, No matter wh- who's around him, no matter what the situation, Eli Manning wants to play quarterback. That does not surprise me. He wanted to be back, and he came to that. He admitted he came to that realization pretty early in January. And it seems even at the potential long-term expense of the franchise at that position, right? I mean, he can say all the right things about being a good mentor and talking football and helping new you know, rookies learn the offense. It's a little bit different when you're, you know, have the recent track record that Eli Manning and the Giants have. And every snap that Eli Manning takes this year, if there's a Drew Locke or a Kyler Murray or a Dwayne Haskins or a Daniel Jones on the roster, that's one less snap for that rookie to prepare. And and again, this isn't 1999 anymore where Donovan McNabb is holding a clipboard for an entire year. Rookies come out of college ready to play. Um, and, and I think the offensive line will be better. I think the offense has a chance to be very similar to what Minnesota was in Pat Shermer's year there as the offensive coordinator before he got hired by the Giants. But I just don't know that they can get enough out of the quarterback position, even with that improved offensive line, to be a playoff team, which makes me wonder, as you have, why Eli Manning would want to be back. Yeah, I, but I think he just wants to play quarterback. It's the, you know, it's kind of like sports writers. How many of us, how many sports writers are, you know, 85 years old and still writing? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just kind of think, you know, how many, uh, I go to a deli where the deli owner is still in there. He's 85 years old, hunched over the meat, you know, slicing it up. Like, it's just, I kind of think that's what it is, Matt. I kind of think you just do what you do. And that's what Eli Manning wants to play quarterback. And through, look, 
the Giants not playing a young quarterback every snap being a, for Manning being a deterrent for the future of the franchise is the Giants' problem. That is not Eli Manning's problem. Eli Manning is not supposed to sit himself down and say, look, I can't do this anymore. Um, that ain't going to happen. The Giants have right. to find the gumption to tell Eli Manning, it's over, pal. They And until they do, Eli Manning's going to keep wanting to go out there. Eli Manning's not going to sit him down, himself down. It's not his job to sit him down. It is the Giants' job to say to him, this is over, and they don't want to do it, so they're just going to keep doing this. That's fine. Uh, let's remember, John Mara told our boss, Kevin Manahan, who was a Giants beat writer 20 years ago, that he was not going to let sentimentality run the Giants. That's what got them into the dark days. He told us, Kevin, that in, two, in 2000. Well, it's 19 years later, and John Mara is going to have to prove it. Yeah, pretty ironic that two decades later, that's exactly how he's, you know, orchestrating the most important position on the field. Uh, and, and, of course, when you look well, at his offense. Well, he says he's not. Well, Let's be clear. He says he's not. You, we, we accuse him of that, but he says he's not doing that. He says this is because Eli Manning can still play. Yeah, and, and that's where I question uh, whatever <laughs> scouting reports or intel the Giants have on the quarterback position Correct. right now. Uh, Correct. I agree. Correct. So, Correct. so that, that would be my, that would be my counter to John. I'd say, I, well, I what agree. did you see? What did you see out of Eli last year uh, when it mattered in the first three quarters during the first eight weeks of the season? What did you see out of Eli Manning that made you think that he could still play? I like the way you frame that question to cut off the, well, the last eight games of the season, the offense was better. And the last four games, we scored points. Oh, yeah, by the way, we were shut out one of those games, but whatever. And oh, by um, the way, you're one in seven and playing with house money when all of those mediocre yeah, things started yeah. to happen over the second half of the and, year. Uh, and oh, um, by the way, you lost three straight games to end the season. But sure, momentum. <laughs> but one player who seems to have cashed in on – uh, not only momentum at the end of the year, but certainly circumstances of the last several months is Sterling Shepard. And this is the first time we've had a chance to really chat about Sterling Shepard's five-year contract extension. Uh, interesting move. I, I think that it's taking care of one of the players that you drafted, a homegrown talent. And, and as I wrote last week, I think he fits the profile, as does Golden Tate, of the type of receiver that Pat Shermer seems to covet in his offensive schemes. Yeah, that was a really good piece you wrote. If you ha anybody hasn't read it, find it. Google Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Pat Shermer, NJ.com. Uh, basically, the Giants want receivers who are willing to block in the run game. And anybody who remembers Shepard laying out a um, Josh Norman on that Saquon Barkley runs against the Redskins know that Sterling Shepard likes to run block. Uh, that's what the Giants want. They do not necessarily want the um, – flashy big the play wide receiver. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wonder who we're talking about. Um, and then I he would say this. I, now, here, by the way. <laughs> yes. Here's what I thought about that. Um, when I saw that contract, here's what the first thought I had was. The Giants let Landon Collins go, and he was a guy who did everything right. Literally everything on the on the field, off the field, in the locker room, public, community, everything. Captain, Want, said he wanted to be with the Giants his whole career. Couldn't have handled it better. Let him go. They traded a transcendent talent in Odell Beckham at 26 years old. So I think the Sterling Shepard contract, as much as it was rewarding a good player, I think it was a message to two people. The fan base, look, we're not giving everybody up. 
Sterling Shepard is here for good. Buy your Sterling Shepard jersey. We are trying to compete. This is one of our guys. We believe in homegrown players. The Giants have let homegrown talent go for years and years and years. Uh, Linval Joseph or uh, uh, Prince of Mukamara, uh, Justin Pugh. Uh, this ends. Sterling Shepard starts a new one. And then to the locker room, we are willing to reward you if you have done a good job. We are willing. Not everybody is going to get cast off like Collins or Beckham. Uh, if you do the right things, there is a contract here for you to be had. Yeah, and I think that there's some validity to the message sent to the locker room because you you can imagine what it must have felt like to be a player on that team during that two-week stretch where the Giants don't even make a contract offer to Landon Collins and he walks down the out the door, drives down the turnpike and signs a massive deal with the Redskins. You trade Odell Beckham Jr. away, uh, arguably your most dynamic weapon on offense, your leader on defense. So I agree. I think that they needed to um, throw a bone, if you will, to the locker room and let them know that if you do things the New York Giant way, quote-unquote, we're going to take care of you and we're going to reward you. I also think that they wanted to get this done before Shepard hit this season and potentially put up big numbers as Eli Manning's number one receiver um, where they could get in on not necessarily a bargain basement deal, but they could still pay him a top dollar slot receiver contract in the event that he starts producing at a higher level than that. Right now, Matt, who has more catches this season? Uh, more catches and more yards. We'll assume that more catches equals more yards. Who has more catches and more yards this season, Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate? <sighs> I, 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 that's so tough for question. me because I saw I, – it, it's a great question because I saw what Golden Tate was able to do before coming to Philadelphia and then watching the Eagles just really not know how to utilize him. I, I don't know if something happened between the trade and not being a scheme fit in Philly – or if his skills just diminished with, over the last, you know, 12 months or so. I think Shepard has more catches and more yards, but I, I still think that Saquon Barkley will lead the team in both targets and receptions. Yeah, I agree. Pro but better not be yards, but, uh, but yes, probably in receptions. That's the nature of this offense. Yeah. So there's a draft coming think, there's a, Yes. There's a draft coming up, but what were you going to say? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I think that Evan Ingram um, is probably going to be one of the beneficiaries of the Odell Beckham trade Agreed. as well. I think that if he can stay healthy, uh, you might see a, a, a 75 to 85 catch year out of him. Yep, I agree 100%. Uh, there's a draft coming up right now. I asked you this last week. We'll ask you again next week. Right now, who do you think are the Giants? Not who you would take. Not who met Dave Gettleman Lombardo would take. Who uh, who do you think Dave Gettleman will take? Who do you think the Giants take at six and seventeen? Oh, boy. Um, well, I, I wrote it today, and I try to do these mock drafts, thinking what the teams will do. I still think Haskins is the pick. He's in town for a two-day top okay. thirty visit. I think they go with Haskins at six. And then 17, I'll switch it up from my mock draft a little bit. I think that they will land uh, Cody Ford, the offensive tackle, okay. out of Oklahoma. And you go Haskins and Ford, and you solidify quarterback for the future. You complete your offensive line rebuild. Uh, that's your pick six and 17. Who do you got? Today, right now, oh, hold on. Let me throw one at you. Haskins is gone. 
Haskins is off the board. Who do you take at six? Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver. Okay. Um, I'll go. My six is Ed Oliver. Uh, whether Haskins is there or not, I, I think my top five in some order would be Murray, Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen, Devin White. Am I missing somebody? This, this, is, this is under the uh, assumption that Nick Bosa is off the board, Nick right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nick Bosa. Yeah. They, yeah, Nick Bosa. There. Those would be my top five, and I think that goes Ed Oliver to the Giants at six. And then at pick 17, I think the Giants take Daniel Jones from Duke. I've been pretty steady on that. That's kind of where I think they're going to go at 17 if he if he's available. Um, and, and I will say this. The talking to all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I will say this. The talking to people around the league, uh, my sense is the Giants, and, and this isn't exactly state secrets, the Giants love Daniel Jones. And I think that if they go in a different direction other than Haskins at number six, uh, I, I think all signs and, and a lot of the indication league-wide is that the, the Giants will take Jones at 17 if he's there. Yeah, I've talked to a scout who thinks he's a top 10 prospect. I've talked to um, analysts who don't think he's a first rounder. One actually said he's a third rounder with Manning pedigree uh, that makes him a first rounder. Like, uh, I mean, all over the board. He's the he's uh, the second best quarterback in this class. He's the fifth best quarterback in this class. Charlie Casserly, the XGM, loves him. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, who I think is as good at grading quarterbacks as there is, does not think he's very good um it's it's been wild uh give me some names at 37 because that's basically a first round uh, pick who are who do, yeah, 30, who do you like for the 37? giants at 37 uh i i think that you could look at if he's still available and this would be an absolute steal for the giants dalton risner out of kansas state um he's just a mauler yep. in the running game versatile can play a little bit of guard or tackle uh jerry tillery the he's defensive the end thing. Yep, out of Notre Dame, I think uh, Jeffrey Tillery is somebody to keep an eye on. And any of the remaining pass rushers, you have uh, Jalen Ferguson, if he slides through, if he's on the board at 37, that would be interesting. And if if you want to add a cornerback, you look at somebody like Amani Awarie out of Penn State or Rocky Asin out of Temple, those are probably some guys that I would keep an eye on at number 37. I agree. I think 37 is almost easier to figure out than 6 and 17, if you believe it or not, because you, you'll know what the Giants did with 6 and 17. You'll know what holes they filled. And then 37, I, I believe their first three picks should be quarterback, pass rusher, right tackle. I believe if they don't take quarterback, it'll be right tackle, pass rusher, and cornerback. So... I think it's pretty easy once you have two of them to peg in the third one. I love Risner as a uh, second rounder. Uh, or I like Rocky Sin from Temple as a second rounder you mentioned. Uh, the one thing I would think when I was going through today is there's not a lot of pass rushers in that 30 to like 45 range. There's like late second round, third round guys. Obviously, the top of the first round is filled with them. But in that like 25 to 40 range, there's not a lot of guys. They're either going to go early or they're guys with a lot of questions like Ja'Kai Polite, uh, who I think is probably slipped to the end of the second round. Jalen Ferguson's the guy. If he's there, I think they take him. But he because there's so few, he might go off the board earlier in the second round. Uh, 
Greedy Williams, if he somehow slips the 37, I think is a home run for the Giants. Uh, he's I think Greedy Williams is a top 15 talent. I think he might be yeah. the best cover corner in the class. If he's there at 37, and you, regardless of what you've done with your first two picks, it would be really difficult to let Greedy Williams slide by to 38. I agree. I think he is very, uh, he's projected mostly in the like late 20s. If he somehow slipped, I think that would be a steal. Um, yeah. So I think those are kind of the guys you're looking at. You could definitely get what feel, like Pat Shermer said today. They're looking at two or three immediate starters. And I think that's right. I mean, you, I think it, forget two. You have, unless one's a quarterback, you have to look at this as getting three day one starters. Uh, Look at what the Giants did with Will Hernandez. That was basically getting a second th- uh, first-rounder last year. Well, they should look at 37 this year as getting a third first-rounder. Yep, no, I totally agree. And there are more than plenty of holes to fill, even if you take quarterback off the board. You talk about pass rusher. You talk about cornerback where the depth chart really is a mess. You have Janoris Jenkins penciled in as your left cornerback. Uh, some hodgepodge of Grant Haley, Sean Chandler, Maybe Michael Thomas dropping down into the nickel as the nickel cornerback. Sam Beal maybe in the mix as your left cornerback, but as far as I'm concerned, he's still a question mark with the shoulder. Right tackle is your biggest growing concern uh, on offense, and I still think you could see you you'd serve yourself well to add a wide receiver at some point who can stretch the field, even if that's not a focal point of your offense, just to have that type of player on your roster. So yeah, Ryan, if you can plug three of those holes with either one of them being a franchise quarterback of the future who can play at some point in 2019 or three total starters um, right starting in week one, then I think that's a win for Dave Gettleman and certainly an improvement over the 2015 and 16 classes, which I wrote about for Tuesday, which this organization is still feeling the ramifications of that abject disaster. Let's throw one more topic out before we uh, wrap up this podcast. It's schedule week. It's NFL schedule week. We think. We think it's NFL schedule week. History says it's NFL schedule week. It's weird the NFL doesn't give you an advance notice on this. It's very strange. They NFL gives you advance notice on everything. They, they do like 12-week parties for like everything. It's weird they only give you like a three-day heads up on the schedule. But uh, Yeah, Ryan, when you're watching Good Morning Football and they're teasing, the schedule can drop at any moment, you know it's close. Yeah. Yes. Um, what uh, I'll give you a couple. Of, what What is your big picture view on the Giants' schedule in 2019? Uh, big picture view is I think there's opportunity there, depending on what they do in the draft, because I don't think, uh, other than the playoff teams from a year ago, I mean, you have very winnable games against Tampa Bay. I'll give you the very stat. Winnable- I'll, give, yeah. I'll give you the stat. The Giants have six games against playoff teams from this past year. Four of those games are requirements, the Eagles and the Cowboys, uh, which, you know, those, I mean, as a Giants fan, neither one of those games should scare you. I mean, you should be the rivalry games. You should be, you know, hope to go one and one in those games. So other than those games of the 10 games that are, you Chicago know, interchangeable and the other season, only two ga- only two games against playoff teams. Yep, Chicago and New England are the other two. Uh, I'm, everybody wants to talk about the Patriots being the opener. I don't see it because the Giants have the Patriots in week four on the road. I can't imagine the NFL having the Giants and week Patriots playing week one, week four of the preseason. Correct. 
I can't see the, the NFL putting them against one another 10 days later. Uh, I, I'm going to say that we return back to uh, the tried and true season opener, Giants-Cowboys, yeah. on a Monday night this time. Uh, and it just might be at MetLife Stadium. Uh, I did my ideal schedule. I think it was the Redskins at home week one. I just thought, you know, Landon Collins return. It's neither team is very good. So like the, uh, you know, it's not a game the networks are going to try to pump up. I just, I thought Giants Redskins at home for the Giants would be my pick for week one. If I was looking for something more exciting, if it was something that I think would be like kind of a draw, um, how about, you know, maybe the Packers to the Giants with all that is, you know, the Aaron Rye could be the last Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning matchup. They've met in the playoffs a couple times. I think that could be uh, the Packers, obviously a lot going on with them right now. Uh, maybe a Giants Packers at Giants on Sunday night kind of uh, kind of uh, game would it, or oh, the Packers have the Bears. Yeah, what I'm am I talking about? With, the Packers I'm going to stick with Bears. my prediction. Yeah, I'm going to stick with my prediction here, Ryan. It's. Ezekiel Elliott versus Saquon Barkley yeah. in the early Monday night football window yeah. at MetLife Stadium. You have one of the more popular teams in football, one of the largest fan bases in the Dallas Cowboys, the number one media market with the Giants. I'm just so turned off You get off the Giants' primetime window out of the way, Ugh. and you have it Monday Ugh. night uh, in the Meadowlands. That's my prediction, and we'll see what happens Ugh. later this week. Ah, oh, God, I, I'll take I'll stick with my original prediction, because at least I did some homework there rather than speaking off the cuff like I just tried to. So I'll stick with my <laughs> prediction. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with my prediction of the Redskins at the Giants week one. But neither one of those games is exciting in any regard. Remember how exciting the Tom Coughlin Jaguar Super Bowl contenders week one? That was such a interesting the Fournette Barkley. It was a. Hey, look, the game ended up. Jalen Ramsey throwing uh, some shade. Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, some shade that was such a Man fun Man. match. That was such a fun <laughs> matchup. We're talking about Cowboys or Redskins week one. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> and with that, I think that's where we wrap this thing up before our Ugh. big NFL draft Ugh. preview next week. Before I hop on the plane and head to Nashville, uh, the music city for the NFL draft, which should be a lot of fun. Ryan, I know you'll have the draft covered. Uh, at East Rutherford, and I'll join you for Friday and the weekend. But uh, we'll have a big preview next week, our top prospects, what we're hearing at that point. Top 30 visits will be over with by that point, Ryan. And, uh, of course, go to nj.com slash Giants. We know of at least 25 of the top yes. 30 visits that have happened so far. A lot of quarterbacks, a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of edge players. Those are the three that the Giants seem to be zeroing in on. Yeah, uh, six quarterbacks, I think, a uh, couple of offensive tackles, pretty much anybody who's ever played defensive line. Matt, make sure you go to Big Bang Dueling Piano Bar, if you can, while you're in Nashville, and Jack's Barbecue. I will hit up both of those places when I arrive on Tuesday, rest assured. Yeah. Knock them out of the way early and launch me into the, the work portion of the trip. I think it's two-for-one Bud Lights at the Piano Bar. <laughs> That's my kind of joint, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough. Uh, so with that, he's Ryan Dunleavy. Follow him on Twitter at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Again, if you like what you've heard, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store. Subscribe to us there on iHeartRadio, Google Play. Toss us a like on YouTube. And as always, keep it locked on nj.com slash Giants. Ryan, I will talk to you next week here on Talk is Cheap.